Hello, and welcome back to the While We're Waiting Hope After Child Loss podcast. I'm Jill Sullivan, your host and one of the co-founders of the While We're Waiting ministry. I'm so pleased to welcome someone I have not yet had the pleasure to meet in person to the podcast today. I have come to know her, though, through reading her books and connecting with her on social media. Kim Erickson is an accomplished author and speaker and a former law professor and attorney. She's the author of two books, a Bible study of the Gospel of John called His Last Words, What Jesus Taught and Prayed in His Final Hours, and the book we're going to be referring to a lot today, Surviving Sorrow, A Mother's Guide to Living with Loss. We had such a rich time of discussion the other day that I've decided to turn her story into a two-episode podcast, so be sure to tune in again next week to hear our full conversation. Her testimony is powerful. And I know you will be blessed by hearing her story. Hi, Kim. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hi, Jill. I am thrilled to be here. I'm looking forward to uh, visiting with you and seeing if I can send some encouragement out there to grieving parents. Thank you. That's what I hope as well. So I always like to get started by giving my guests an opportunity to tell a little bit about themselves. I've already shared a little bit about the professional you, but if you would like to just take a moment and tell us a little bit about the personal you. Mm, I am married to my love of my life, Devin Erickson, and I am still crazy about him. We've been together now longer than we in my life than we weren't. Oh, wow. So we met when I was 24 and we have been together um, and, uh, for about 26 years. So I, I figured that out the other day. I was like, Oh my goodness, yeah. you have been by my side longer than not, yeah. you know, it <laughs> really kind of yeah. struck me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fun. And I love to watch movies, to read, and I love football. So I am ready for fall to get here quick so that football season can start again. Who's your favorite <laughs> football team? Well, I really have to say that we root for the Raiders, um, and I will root for the Cleveland Browns as well, just because I am from originally Ohio. Oh, sure. Good, good. Now, you have two kids. You have Austin and Ethan, so tell us just a little bit about Ethan first. Sure. Um, Well, Ethan is the younger, and we would call Ethan the tank because... He's just slow and steady. His emotions are solid and stable. And he just kind of goes through life and he's super chill. And um, even as a baby, like he didn't hardly ever cry. Um, And so he's just a really remarkably calm kid who doesn't really get rattled by anything um, or stressed by anything. He kind of goes through his life and goes, oh, well. I'm going to do that and then I'm going to do this. And, um, but he really is such a blessing because he is so easy <laughs> and so much fun. And he's just a delight. How old is he now? He's 14. That's a great age. Yeah, I think so too. People say, oh, teenagers. And I'm like, no, we're having so much fun. He's becoming, you know, already his own man. Yeah. And I can see it, and I love it, and um, he cracks me up. So, yeah, he's funny and and sweet. Yeah. That's Ethan. Sounds like a great mm-hmm. kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so now tell me a little bit about Austin. Oh, my goodness. Austin was my wild child, and um, he really was. Uh, one of my friends, uh, bef- 
uh, said that Austin made her afraid to have boys. <laughs> she had wow. two girls already, yeah. and she, you know, her and her husband kind of were like, gosh, we really do want a boy, and, and we'd like to add to our family, but then... Um, Austin came around, and she was like, "I'm kind of scared, <laughs> <laughs> kind of satisfied <laughs> with these girls." Yes, he was just so uh, fearless and active and busy and talking, and um, he really would eat anything and do anything. And his most funny things were the way he mimicked his dad. Oh, really? You know, his dad one day mowing the lawn went, whoa, like stopped the mower and like fell into the pool, pretending like he fell into the pool, right. on, but he did it on purpose. And sure enough, Austin went right in after him going, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> plop. I'm like, he's only 18 months. Yeah. You can't swim yet, right? little little thing. Get out of the pool. Yeah. So um, yeah, he just was a, we called him the tornado. So Austin was the tornado and Ethan was the tank. Yeah, sounds like they're very, very different personality-wise. Very different personality. He would have been my strong-willed, mm. um, my strong-willed child. No question about that. Sure. He challenged every bit of um, our parenting, even at two and three. <laughs> so, wow. Uh, sweet. Yeah, sounds like another great kid. So let's go back to April of two thousand eight. Life was good in your family. You all were happy. Things were going well for you. And then on a Tuesday morning, Austin was diagnosed with strep throat, a very common childhood illness. Um, our My kids had strep throat numerous times. So talk about what was going on at that time. Mm. Well, at that time, I would have been working at a big law firm in Phoenix and I really thought we had everything together and that we really had, I really did feel like I had everything in my life I had ever wanted. I, I had a, a successful career. I had my husband, these two kids. I had a shiny red convertible. I mean, I really had it all and I really felt that way. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, Austin got strep throat on that Tuesday and, um, you know, I am working, I were, we were, I was working a lot of hours that week. And so, uh, Devin took the, we had a nanny who came in and babysat for us during the day while Devin and I went to work. And so Devin stayed and took Austin to the pediatrician on Tuesday. They diagnosed the strep. Um, he started antibiotics that day, that evening. And then on Wednesday, I was at work probably before the kids woke up, um, and then I was at work until almost midnight. And but when I got home on Wednesday night, he was running 104 fever, wow. and he was breathing really kind of like this really rattly breathing. And so when I went in to kiss him when I got home, I was like, "Oh no, mm -mm, this is not good." And um, so I woke up Devin and I said, "Listen, I." you stay here with the baby, Ethan, I'm going to take Austin to urgent care. And so we did. And uh, she spent maybe four minutes mm -hmm. uh, with us and sent us home saying, you know, it's no big deal. Strep throat. You got to give the medicine time to work. Um, you know, see your pediatrician if he's not better. And I was like, um, 
wait. (laughs) The nurse said if he's not better, if he's having trouble breathing, if he's drooling, those are worrisome for, for strep. And she's like, oh no, he's just drooling because he doesn't want to swallow. And and um, his lungs are clear. That sound is just because he's breathing through his mouth. And that fever will come down. It's already coming down with the ibuprofen that you gave him at home. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what we did. We went home. And um, he just wasn't better the next day. And so, again, I'm off to work before they wake up. And um, Devin took him back to the pediatrician. And the pediatrician does the same thing. You know, relax, don't panic, it's just strep throat, you know, give the medicine time to work. Like, and, um, but she did prescribe Tylenol with codeine so that it would take down some of the pain so that he would eat or eat and drink, really drink, where she's like, we got to get some fluids Mm -hmm. in him. And I'm like, Devin was like, yeah, he's not eating or drinking or peeing or pooping. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she said, well, we got to get him doing that. So here's Tylenol with codeine, and she sent us home. And so when I got home that night, it was about 7 p.m., and I we I made some, like, he hadn't been eating, and so I made some Rice Krispies, and I was like, watch, buddy, look at all this sugar I'm putting on this. <laughs> you see, Mommy, putting all this sugar on your Rice Krispies? Uh-huh. Like, going to be so good and they'll get really soggy and soft so you can swallow them and and he did it he sat there and ate those rice krispies and he was so floppy he was so just not not a tornado and I remember looking over at my husband Devin and saying like giving him a look kind of over the top of Austin's head like what are we going to do yeah and he shrugged his shoulders and said yeah he's been to the doctor three times in three days I I don't know what else to do. And so, you know, we went to bed and uh, Austin woke me up at about four in the morning and he came in. I stayed up in the guest room um, by them, by the boys. Our master was downstairs. So I was up in the guest room and he came in and he said, Mom, I want to brush my teeth. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, you can brush your teeth and it's time for some more Tylenol with codeine. And, um, so he did his medicine. We brushed his teeth. I tucked him in. I could not sleep, um, get back to sleep. And my deadline was on that day. And so I tucked him in and I ended up kissing them goodbye and getting ready and going back to work. And, uh, yeah. And so I got the call at the office at about nine o'clock. The babysitter called screaming, Austin ambulance, Austin ambulance. And, um, I was a good 30 minutes away. So Mm. that's the call. We all know, uh, at Mm. least most of your listeners know that that news or that phone call, you know, it's, it's bad. And so that was on, uh, April 25th and 2008, you know, so I got that call that no parent wants to get. And Jill, I didn't even think to pray. It didn't occur to me. That's wow. how far away from God I was. I might have had everything that the world thinks we need or everything people like at me at that time thought I wanted yeah. and needed, but I didn't have God. I, I had no relationship with him. In that worst moment of my life, he didn't even occur to me. He was not a thought. 
And it just, today, that just breaks my heart because I have such a relationship with him that Mm -hmm. he definitely would be my first cry um, to him. But at that time, I didn't. I I didn't pray. I just got in my car and um, raced, you know, to the... You know, it was about a 30-minute drive from the, my office, downtown Phoenix, to our suburb where we lived. So, whew, it was a day. Mm. Now, something happened on that drive, yes, right? Yes, it really did. Uh, I This just makes me uh, just, just about cry every time I tell it because I hadn't even thought of God, right? But He was thinking of me. And here's right. why I say that. I luckily my assistant jumped in the car. She was like, "Well, you should not be driving." Uh, yeah. with smart. And so she was driving and we're going down like the interstate from downtown Phoenix to the west side where our house was. And I just wanted to be with Austin. You know, I just couldn't believe that I was at work in this moment and 30 minutes away. And so just in my head, like I put the seat back, you know, you can recline your seat and I shut my Mm -hmm. eyes, but inside my head, I am screaming like, Austin, can you hear me? You know, Austin, stay with mommy. Austin, you fight. You're my fighter. Like you fight and stay here with mommy. I'm coming. I'm coming as fast as I can. Austin, can you hear me? You know, I'm just trying to reach him. Um, and crying out for him to stay here with mommy, you fight. And um, man, it was like a a wave of the ocean just washed over me. Something stopped me in my tracks. The screaming I was doing was just shut down, and I felt amazing. I cannot explain what I felt, but it was euphoric. It was so happy. It was so wonderful. It was so bright and pure and just, oh, so beautiful. All of a sudden I felt something and not out loud, but somewhere in my soul, I heard Austin say, but mom, it's so pretty here. And he wanted to stay like the longing was there that, you know, mom, it's so pretty here. And I was it was so awesome. I I had to say, okay. And I knew where he was in that moment. Like I knew heaven was real and it was true. And it's not some weird floaty place, you know, with on clouds. And it was a place like I felt like he was somewhere. I could hop on a plane and get to him. He was in Mm -hmm. a city in a very firm place and I knew it. And it was so awesome. I just said, okay. And then it was gone, gone. Yeah. And now I was back in the car. I was back in the circumstances. And I looked over at my assistant and of course she didn't experience a thing because I was doing it all in my head. Oh, and I knew, I knew that he was gone. I knew he was in heaven and that heaven was beyond any description you've ever thought about. And I knew it was true. And yeah. It was undeniable. Like all of a sudden, yes. heaven is real. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I love that story because you weren't looking for God. No. Uh, you said, you know, you weren't praying. You you just, that was, sounded like kind of the farthest thing from your mind. But God reached out to you. 
Yes, he did. And gave you just a very special gift because yeah. I mean, to me it seems like that's that's what it took yes. for him to reach you. That's exactly where you right. Were. That's exactly right. And I know I've, I've, I've grown, right? So that's 13 years. Um, I've grown in my faith, of course, in my walk with the Lord and reading the scriptures. And so, and I've actually had people talk to me about this before saying, you know, that's a little controversial. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and I say, yes, I understand. I don't think that I can talk to dead people. That is not what I'm talking about. It's never happened before. It never happened since. It was a moment, and what I know now is exactly what you said, Jill. He knew, I think, he knew I would not recognize his voice, and I would not hear him, Um, because you're right, I wasn't looking for him. I was talking to Austin, and I think he just used Austin to make sure that I knew that he was real, and heaven was real, and the truth is the truth. And it was the only way he was going to reach me. And it was a critical moment, right? Because I could have gone the other way. Mm -hmm. You know, I could have gone away from God and towards that kind of, um, I'll just say nonsense at at this point, like towards that nonsense of, you know, horoscopes and palm reading and tarot cards and all of that. I had had been interested in that stuff my whole life. Like, Mm. and... I could have very easily gone the other way. God made sure I knew that that was false and he is true. Heaven is real. Exactly. Jesus is what the truth is. And I somehow in that moment, man, I I knew it. He made sure. <laughs> exactly. I knew it. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, I don't know why. And I know I have my own mom to think of right now. I know that there are parents out there who didn't get that. They didn't yes. they didn't get that assurance, that feeling, right? Like it was so awesome. I told my 3-year-old stay there. <laughs> like okay. Okay. Yeah. Like you're you're great. Um I know so many parents didn't get that. And so I do know what a gift it is and and what a privilege it is. And I think that's why I'm also supposed to be telling my story so that other parents mm-hmm. can borrow my moment and borrow my hope and borrow my assurance and he's there they're there there's heaven i i promise heaven is real (laughs) yes yes absolutely so you had that moment where where you had that assurance that austin was in heaven and and you you were aware at that moment that that he was probably gone. Is that what yeah. you're saying? In fact, I yeah. I looked to the the sweet lady Marianne who was driving my car, and I looked at her and I, I said, "He's gone, he's gone." And she said, "Oh, now Kim, we're on our way. You know, where are we going to the hospital or your house?" And anyway, so they did call us back and told us to go to the hospital instead of home. Um, and so I went, we went to the hospital, and they, you know, the first responders were amazing, and the med the emergency room doctors and staff were amazing and they they tried you know they tried everything they could think of for a long time and um you know the officers since austin died in our home they kept devin and the officers he had to stay and be questioned by the officers and so he was not at the hospital um, when i arrived at the hospital 
And so, um, but they were working on Austin and I was in the room and, you know, it was about 45 minutes and Devin still wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just couldn't stand it anymore. I was like, he's just stop. He's gone. You guys like you have to stop. Um, and you know, they waited and I, now I know, I think they waited until Devin got there. Uh, before they called it. And um, mm-hmm. so then finally Devin got there, you know, about five or 10 minutes after I said, like, come on, we just, you know, and Devin got there and they, then they called it. And, um, and so uh, then I got to be interviewed by the police and oh, wow. Miss Alma, our nanny got to be interviewed by the police and they re-interviewed Devin. And, and um, after that, then we got to, you know, kind of see him and spend, uh, you know, a few minutes alone with him in the room. And, um, he, you know, so he did, obviously, he passed on on that day from complications with strep throat, believe it or not. Um, and, yeah, so then in comes my family and in comes Devin family and um, people gathering and we have to, we have to plan a funeral. And she'll remember, I didn't go to church. (laughs) Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So so how did you find a place for this funeral? Well, this, you know how, now I know how God works. So, but at the time I, I didn't, Um, but this is so like God. So uh, probably about six months uh, before Austin died. So he died when he was three and we had baby Ethan and about, you know, he was a baby and Austin was not even two. My boys are only 20 months apart, but mm-hmm. we had these two healthy boys. And, you know, at some point I looked at Devin and said, well, we, we probably should drag these ch- kids to church, right? Like our parents made us go to church. Like we do right. want them to believe in God. We do want them to have faith um, in God. Um, but that's, you know, as far as both Devin and I's, uh, you know, upbringing and faith uh, were different, but we ended up in the same place of just mm-hmm. having this kind of vague, quote unquote, faith right. um, and belief that there was a God, but not not really much else. But we knew enough to say we want our boys to have some faith. <laughs> yeah. So sure. we did start, um, you know, kind of church shopping. Uh, my husband said, "Well, go. Why don't you go? I'll stay home with the boys. You go look at some churches and." see which if there's one you would think we would like um and so i had been doing that i had gone a couple of times to this church um near our home it was a community church it's called desert springs community church in goodyear arizona Mm -hmm. and i had been there a couple of times and in fact the last time i went there was the sunday before austin got sick Mm -hmm. and i came home that sunday saying i think i found a church I could tolerate. And those, boy, the Lord makes me eat lots of my words. And that is one of them. I, yeah. I'll never forget it. I told Devin, I found a church I think I could tolerate. Wow. And he said, all right, well, you feel like the boys would be safe in Sunday school? Yes, yes. And he said, all right, well, next Sunday, we'll go to church as a family. Right. Okay. Well, on Monday, Austin ran the fever. Mm-hmm. On Tuesday, we went to the doctor. Wednesday, urgent care. Thursday, back to the doctor. Friday, right. he's gone. Yeah, wow. And so on Saturday, I knocked on that church door. It was locked. I went, I'm like, we have to plan a funeral. I 
I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Right. I just knocked on their door and it was locked. And, uh, but they, I left a message and they called me right back and, um, talked to me and asked if we needed anything and sent someone over to the house. And it was just great. Um, mm-hmm. but on Sunday, uh, I told my family like, Oh no, we're going to church. We're going every, I mean, wow. they had all heard the story. They knew what happened to me in the car. And Devin said, we'll go to church as a family last you know, this Sunday. And so we're going yeah, and everybody, yeah. but, uh, my parents, they stayed with Ethan, the baby, and we all got dressed and we went to church, um, wow. on Sunday. Wow. That had to be hard. Oh, man. It was so hard, but let me tell you yeah. this beautiful thing that happened just to kind of encourage the local church out there, you know, is sometimes I think we kind of think our churches aren't helping very many people sometimes, right? But they are, you are, the local church is working. And, um, so we went and the, um, there was a guest pastor. It was actually the pastor's dad who was a retired pastor and he never ever would finish the service without doing the invitation, doing the call mm-hmm. at, you know, and so he did at the end of, of church and, and I, you know, many, I gave my life to the Lord I was like, yes, I put my hand in the air and I prayed that prayer and so did many other people sitting with wow. us that day. Wow. So I had my own Resurrection Sunday. <laughs> Isn't that something? Uh, wow. Yeah. So then that church. So here's what happened next. The pastor then starts talking about us, but he has no idea that we're in the room. I'm sure wow. he didn't expect us to be in the room. Well, no. And Nobody would expect you to be there you know, no, the day after. No, yeah. but he said, church, we need to be on our knees for this family. They don't know the Lord. They just lost their three-year-old. We need to be praying for them. And anybody who can get on their knees right now, we need to get on our knees. And we lost it. So our whole row just started weeping. And the people around us figured it out. You know, they, they just figured it out. And they came around us and they put their hands on us. And that church prayed all over us. And um, I'm getting goosebumps right now, even thinking yeah. about it. It was amazing. Yeah. So, boy, God grabbed a hold of me, Jill, and He didn't let go. <laughs> That's right. Wow, yeah. that is such an amazing. That story. church is something. If you're anywhere near there, you should go. <laughs> yeah, it makes me want to go visit. That is, yes. that is just an incredible story. You know, like you amazing. said, God was he he was seeking you out. That's for sure. Yes, I. And I have no idea why. I mean, I really, you know, was such a rebellious child and such a, you know, standoffish, I don't need God, I can do it myself kind of gal that he, wow, I'm still overwhelmed that he did chase me that hard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he clearly had a purpose for you. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You're you're fulfilling that now. I hope Um, so. Yeah, so your book that you wrote is called Surviving Sorrow. Do you think you would have survived losing Austin without making that decision for Christ that you made that morning? Well, I certainly, I want to say no, right? Like, that's what I want to say. But the reality is, 
Like I watched my mom do it. I watched my aunt do it. Like there's been a lot of child loss in our family and extended family. And, and you just, you put on your shirt and pants and you go to work and you, it's just very, um, you know, a lot of emotions are not really tolerated. Like, I mean, I don't mean that in a bad way. It's a very stoic, you know, strong community. And I, 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 I would have gone about my life, I think, but it would have been terrible, terrible. Yes. Um, you know, it, we don't really have a choice whether we go mm-hmm. on or not, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, we do, but I would have approached it in that manner. Like, I don't have a choice, so I'm going to just yeah. keep doing life, right? But let me tell you, that decision to accept Jesus for the truth, for the for the Savior and Lord, the atonement of my sins— the Lord of this life, like to do that, it, it made this grief beautiful, mm-hmm. hard and terrible, mm-hmm. but still mm-hmm. beautiful that, that he's been so close to me in the darkness and in the hurt and the deep, <laughs> uh, the yeah. deep, dark places. And he's just made it beautiful. And so that's what I would say. If, if there are listeners out there going, I don't know if I believe in this Jesus business, I will tell you it is true. And if you just, I always tell people, just do it. <laughs> do it. You've got nothing to lose. I That's promise right. you, he will show up. He will show up and he will show himself to you. And that's the most amazing that's thing right. that Amen. happens, right? He will show you himself. And that's, that is huge and overwhelming. Like, the creator yeah. of the universe, the almighty God shows himself to you. And that's, oh, it's just the best. It can make yes. everything better. <laughs> that's right. That's mm. right. Um, you talk in your book about a photograph with a scripture verse on it that a friend gave you at Austin's memorial service. Talk about that picture and how it helped you, especially in those early days of oh grief. Oh my goodness, yes. So I'm looking at it right now. It's hanging oh. right across the room from me where I uh-huh. where I, you know, write at my desk and do these things. And um, it's a beautiful flower. And underneath it, it says... The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm thirty-four, eighteen. And when they gave that to me, like I didn't know anything. I didn't even own a Bible yet. <laughs> wow, yes. I had to like get on the internet to look that psalm up. I, I didn't even sure. know it was Psalm, right? Like I was like, plus Psalm, like <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Um, that was a very special gift because it quietly pointed me towards God. That was a very beautiful way to minister to a grieving person is to send them something that is quietly, gently pointing them towards God. And it worked. I love that verse. I still love it and pray it so very often. Yeah, and still treasure that picture. It yes, like. I do. <laughs> yes, I love that. So your book is meant to be a survival guide for grieving moms. Um, you even say that it should be used like a shovel or a screwdriver, something you pick up when you need it and just kind of put away when you don't. Um, it's not even necessarily meant to be read straight through, although that's the way I read it. Um, it's made up of 14 chapters, each one addressing a different topic. So the reader can kind of pick it up and read about whatever issue they're dealing with at the moment. And I love that about it. 
Um, I also love that each chapter includes some very practical survival steps, followed by ideas to implement those steps, and then also some spiritual steps, also followed by practical ideas on how to take those steps. Um, I know that was the kind of help that I was looking for early on in my grief, and, and even now from time to time. I'm a person who really likes steps. <laughs> Give me these steps and I can follow them. Um, I wish we had time to go through every single chapter and discuss all of these ideas, um, but I'm going to just kind of hit on a few of them. Uh, some of the topics that seem to come up repeatedly at our while we're waiting weekends. Um, the first chapter that just really caught my eye was titled, Welcome to the Crazy Club. Uh, We so often meet parents who honestly feel like they are losing their minds, and it helps when they realize that this is a very common experience for grieving parents. So talk about your own experience in the crazy club and some of the survival steps and spiritual steps you recommend for fellow grievers. Oh, goodness. Well, that is, yeah, it it is so common, and but it really was for me. Like, you know, I, I went back to work. I'm trying to practice law and that's a lot of reading and a lot of writing and I I just I couldn't do it I and and I I had already I thought I knew some things about grieving because we had lost my brother in a car accident when I was 19 and he was 23 in 1989 and I thought I knew some things about sibling law you know about grief and grieving And so I went, you know, back to work and I thought I was going to be able to do it. And I couldn't, like, I couldn't think I couldn't read well. I, I, it just was a mess. I'd end up like in the break room at the office going, why am I in here? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Okay. I go back to my office and I would see a bowl of soup. I'm like, Oh, I went for a spoon. I go back to the break room. By the time I get to the break room, I have forgotten again. Why am I in here? Oh, it must have been maybe for, you know, a soda or something. So I grab a soda and I get back to my desk and there's that stupid bowl of soup with no spoon again. I was a mess. Like I just couldn't, I couldn't think. My brain literally did not work. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's what it looked like for me. Um, But for my husband, it really looked like replaying that scene Mm. um, over and over again. And so I think that kind of... I'm losing my mind can take various, um, you know, forms and shapes. Um, and so, yeah, what I tried to do with the book was then say, okay, like, how do you survive that? How do you survive that feeling of I'm, I'm losing my mind. What do I do about this? Right. And so I tried to, you know, make some ideas. I'm trying to turn that turn to that page now and see what what did I tell you guys some survival ideas <laughs> um so yes let me let me find it now I'm trying to look where it is here we go um yeah. mainly the survival step for that I I called it you got to let it out mm-hmm. because you got to let your grief out the reason that I was not able to think or concentrate it's because I was holding my grief in. I was mm-hmm. not letting it out. <laughs> and so letting it out was so important. Um, I went to a counselor and she said, Kim, I think you have to make an appointment to grieve. 
You, you ha- and I literally had to do it 15 minutes a day. I had to find a place that I could be alone and agree to let it out. And so I think that was the most helpful thing for me. So you actually like scheduled time into your daily schedule? Yes. To let out your grief. I did. I had to put it in my calendar. Otherwise, I wasn't doing it. Um, I'd rather not. Um, Thank you very much. Yeah, I remember feeling like if I start letting it out, it may drown me. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, uh uh-uh. I don't want to. I don't want to feel all those things. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I literally had to make an appointment um, in my calendar and agree to let it out, whatever came. Some days right. it's smiles and memories, and other days it's anger, and other days it was the despair and unbelievable sadness. You know, whatever comes, you have to let it out. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I did not like it, but it did work. Like, if right. I did grieve, then I was able to function better in my day. It was really surprising. Yeah. Well, and I like the idea of scheduling a block of time, like you said, 15 minutes, yeah. where you, you might feel going into it that, oh, I can't do this because it's going to drown me, and I don't think I can survive this. But then if you think, okay, well, I only am going to let this grief out for 15 minutes, yep. and I then can I, can, minutes. I can do 15 minutes of this. Right. And um, I think that's a great strategy. It I did like work that. for me. Um, Mm -hmm. it really did. So I was grateful for that. (laughs) And then the spiritual step in that chapter is about turning to God and not Mm -hmm. turning away. Like I said earlier, like I could have turned to the the false things that are, you know, trying to, in this world, connect you with your loved one. And that's not how it works. (laughs) And so I, you know, I turned towards God, actually God grabbed a hold of me. Um, and, um, but then I grabbed him back and I think Mm -hmm. that is the spiritual step you need in that, you know, when you feel like you're losing your mind, you gotta just, you gotta give it up to him. You gotta turn to him. He's the one, he's the only one who can give you peace that'll calm that grieving down in your heart. So that's, that's the spiritual step. And then there, like you said, there's some practical ideas, like how do I turn to God? Like, what does that even mean? And so right. there's some, some uh, ideas there and, um, you know, getting a Bible and, and touching base with a pastor, finding someone, you know, who will mentor you and disciple you, asking people to pray for you. So there's just some ideas there to how, what does that even look like? People say, right. oh, turn to God, but yeah. what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. I think sometimes we have to put ourselves in the place where God can speak to us. And like yes. you said, that's, you know, putting, listening to, to Christian music, um, reading your Bible, yep. praying, going to church, things that are hard a lot of times when you're yes, grieving. For sure. Um, very hard, but you've got to, uh, with God's help, you could put out the effort and, and, um, and get connected with him that yeah, way. So I, mean, I think that's important. Yeah, our, our relationship with him is so like that, right? He does his part, but we yeah. always have to do our part. And so, yeah, you got to do your part. And, mm-hmm. you know, can he stop you and get a hold of you in the grocery store? Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. But he would love it if you would just 
make some quiet time with him or try to talk to him or try to read your Bible or go to church right. and let the body of Christ love on you. Yeah. You know, so it's hard, but just little steps, just one of those things. You could pick just one of those ideas exactly. and start exactly. there. Exactly. That's right. Yeah, small steps. Everything in grief is small steps, I think. Yes. So early on in our loss, we often find ourselves surrounded by people who are there to comfort and encourage us. But eventually, those people go home, and they go back to their normal lives, and they seem to kind of forget about our loss. Um, Some of those people even begin to avoid us. Mm -hmm. So what words of advice do you have for those who find themselves feeling left behind in their grief as others move Mm. on? Yes, that is tough, isn't it? And it seems to happen mm-hmm. so quickly from your perspective, yes. right? Yes. Um, and, you know, it's you have to manage. It's, it's no one's loss but yours. And I, I say that a few times in the book. Like that can give you great freedom. And maybe we'll talk about some of those things. Like it, it's only, you know, you share it with only really one other person as a grieving parent. You know, with the right. mom and the dad and... You know, the stepdads and the stepmoms too, but, you know, sure. there really is only one set of people who are losing a child, and that is vastly different from other things. And so it's very lonely, um, and you have to learn how to manage your grief. And I know that I, I said in the book, like, I can hear you. I remember saying it, like, I don't want to learn how to manage my grief. <laughs> like, I, why would I want to yes. learn about that, you know, um, but that is the reality is that you have to get better at this new skill of grieving. And it's a new skill set that you need to develop is how are you going to do this? And you, it takes trying some things that work for you and, and trying some things that maybe don't work for you. And so, you know, one of those things, uh, for us was removing the pictures of Austin around our home. Like yeah. it was really triggering my husband and he just, he just could not heal with these pictures all the, over, right. you know, I mean, we kind of had normal mm-hmm. pictures. We didn't even have like a hallway full of photographs, but we had just some right. normal pictures around the house or up on the walls of Austin and Ethan. And, you know, they just had to come down. And so mm-hmm. it's when everyone goes home is the time when you have to make some decisions about, mm-hmm how you're going to do this. And so it's just the next step in the journey. Thank you for listening to part one of my interview with Kim Erickson. Be sure to tune in next week to hear the remainder of our conversation. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it brought you some comfort and encouragement today and maybe made you feel a little less alone on the journey. Please subscribe so you'll never miss an episode and and maybe leave us a rating in iTunes to help others find the podcast. Again, we're glad you spent a few minutes with us today. It's a blessing to walk beside you as we seek to live well while we're waiting.